In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by this and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This is a passage that we read every single year at Christmas time. There's a couple of things that I want you to keep in mind um, every time that you read it. First and foremost, that Mary was probably in her mid-teens. She could have been young as 13 and as old as 17 or 18. Those of you who have daughters, let that sink in. Different culture, different time frame, different sets of, of customs. And that's the other thing that you have to keep in mind. There are certain um, social customs that are in play here. There are also religious rules that are also in play. And there are consequences to individuals who fall outside of those norms. Does this make sense? And in verse 29, I think this is really interesting her response. The angel said to her, this is verse 28, and the angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. This is interesting. Because this word here is greatly troubled. Um, we tend to kind of think that, you know, Mary may have furled her brow just a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, this is a much stronger word than that. It means that she was disturbed or agitated. And wondered means that the thought kept reoccurring to her. There was a repetition in the thought. Wait, what, what does this mean? What, what, what is he saying here? Because for all practical purposes, and from what we read in the text later on about Mary, she, she's listening to this. You who are highly favored, Mary was low income. Favored? Really? This life that I have, this is highly favored? I'm, I'm not sure I understand that. No wonder she's troubled because the words that are being spoken to her do not match her understanding of that particular moment in her life. There's some incongruencies there. No wonder she's troubled. No wonder she's wondering about what all of this means. And so the angel explains to her just what is going to happen, why she has found favor with God, and so given the context and the language that you, that's used here, I wonder personally, was her head just spinning at this point? 
This is a real person, a real teenager, who actually lived a real life. And you have to wonder how she processed all of that. Is her head spinning? It's okay, Mary. Just breathe. I wonder, when the angel showed up, did Mary gasp? Probably not. She probably sucked the air out of the room. (laughs) I think so. I have to admit, there's this little part of me that's very jealous about her acceptance. May it be to me as you have said. There's that moment of just saying, okay, that acceptance that I'm going on this journey, I'm going to do this, I don't fully understand it, but I'm going to do this. And I have to admit, for me, I'm a little jealous of that because I'm not sure that I could do that. Not without a bit of a fight first. And if Mary didn't gasp, I am positive that Joseph did. Can we just be honest about that one? And so let's take a look at the other dance partner here. Let's take a look at, at Joseph. We can, we can actually find his story in Matthew chapter 1. Let me read this for you. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind, or he decided, to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Quick word when you begin to understand how this works. There's a ritual within Jewish marriages, at least in the first century. It goes like this. There's a betrothal period. There is a wedding uh, Ceremony, and then there's a celebration followed by the actual marriage. And it's only between the wedding and the marriage that the uh, two begin to cohabitate in the same home. It's a very strict process with a lot of rules related to it. And so they are married for all practical purposes because in most cases these were arranged marriages. So there was an arrangement period that happened when the betrothal happened, okay? So there's some agreement between the two families. There's a betrothal period, then the celebration, 
or ceremony, celebration, and the actual marriage when they're, when they're together and they're considered family um, unit. But they are considered together in the sight of everyone else. So the fact that Mary is found with a child meant only one of two things. Either she and Joseph skipped a step or two and went right to the cohabitating part, or Mary had another dance partner. If you skipped a step, that was bad. If you had a different dance partner, that was really bad. And there was all kinds of consequences for this, for everyone who was involved, including the reputations of the families. By the way, divine conception was not an option on the table. Kind of like today. Either way, we need to understand Mary's reputation is completely destroyed no matter what the outcome is here. Completely. No reputation. Joseph only has one way he sort of comes out of this okay. Sort of. And I think we have to remember when we read this beautiful story that we so dearly love and we, we, we look forward to the Advent season and we re- following God is not safe. Is it good? Yes. Is it safe? Uh Uh-uh. Following God is not safe. There are all kinds of things that can happen, especially with the people around us. And verse 19 here is the one that is just so pivotal to me. Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous, in other translations, because he was faithful to to the law, Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly or send her away quietly. So he's he's faithful to his beliefs. He's faithful to God. But at the same time, he also did not want to put Mary in any undue disgrace. Life was going to be tough as it is. Rock meet hard place. And that's where Joseph finds himself in all of this. And, and sometimes this passage is shown, um, and I've, I've heard this many times, you probably have too, that this passage shows Joseph's compassion for Mary. That there's maybe a part of him, you know, that he doesn't understand all this, but he still loves her. And so he has in mind to divorce her quietly so that, you know, he can kind of minimize the damage and all of this, not only to, to his own reputation, but also to hers and her family's. And, and, and it's, com- it's a compassionate thing. But here's the thing that I want us to really grasp, that I want us to wrestle with as a, as a, as a people. I want to suggest there's more to this because by right... Joseph could divorce Mary and humiliate her in the process. He had the right under the law to be able to do that. At the very least, he could just divorce her and let the chips fall where they may and the reputation happens and it's not his concern. He had the right to do that. However, if you look, Joseph instead took responsibility of the entire situation. Not that he took responsibility for the pregnancy, but he was going to take responsibility for the aftermath. Divorce, yes, but quietly. Minimize this. 
He didn't take responsibility for what happened, but he did take responsibility for how he responded to it. And I think this is incredibly important. I think we miss something when we don't see this in a broader perspective. There's an old um, adage in philosophy, your rights are my responsibility. You often hear this in political discourse, but your rights are my responsibility. Think about it this way. If I have the right to walk down a street safely without being accosted or mugged or any, then it is somebody else's responsibility to make that a safe environment. This is why we have law enforcement. This is why we have laws on the books. Does this make sense? Your rights that you have under the law are somebody else's responsibility. And so... Your rights are my responsibility. My rights are your responsibility. That's how this works. Does it make sense? This, this interplay between right and responsibility is important. And most people that I find, at least in today's conversation, in today's discourse, especially on Facebook, is that we have more people who are interested in the former rather than the latter. We clamor for our rights, but we avoid, avoid the corresponding responsibilities. And just maybe we need to rethink that a little bit. <laughs> Look, gut-level honesty here, basic human condition, life includes pain and suffering. It does. We know this. Some of us have experiences. In fact, all of us have experienced it at some level. Some people have experienced the darkness more than others. But we know this, and when, then on top of it, we read in the biblical narrative a way that it makes sense. We live in a fallen, broken world. Anybody remember Genesis chapter 3? It's no wonder that there's pain and suffering because the first humans chose against God and, and plunged the world into this nonsense that we find ourselves in. Over and over and over. We know this, we read about it in our news feeds, we've all experienced this at some level, and it matches the biblical narrative. The question is, dear brothers and sisters, what are you going to do about it? We know there's pain and suffering, but what is it that, that we're going to do about it, if not for someone else, at least for ourselves? And this is the question in my mind. Can we, can we just stand there and demand what our rights are? Can we just, you know, raise our little clay fists and say, my right to, and fill in the blank? Many people do. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes you do have to fight for your rights, not to party. But you do have to fight for your rights. I understand that. But the question is, the question is, is if you're going to have pain and suffering, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to make life meaningful in spite of all of that? By demanding your rights? Let me know how that works out for you. Or, or, the other possibility here is to take responsibility for the life that you have. And I don't mean in the cartoonish talk radio sort of way. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is a point here 
But I think that if we have to deal with pain and suffering and we want to try to make it count, if we want to try to have some kind of meaning related to it, it's not about demanding our rights, but rather about taking responsibility. There's a uh, psychologist, his name is Jordan Peterson, and, and he's written quite extensively about this. And one of the things that he suggests is that you look at the situation of your life, whatever it happens to be, whatever your situation is or your life or or however it is, but to pick up what you can and carry it. Take responsibility for something which sounds an awful lot like, pick up your cross and follow me. Can I just say that? I have no idea if Peterson is a Christian or not. I have have no idea. But what I'm hearing him say sounds an awful lot like a man named Jesus. Because when you actually take responsibility and you pick up that heavy thing, whatever it is, and try to make life meaningful of it, two things, at least two things happen. Number one, you are stronger for it because you picked it up and carried it. And number two, it builds some self-respect. Regardless of how worthless I feel, at least I picked that up and moved it from here over to here. And there's something valuable about that to me. Are you listening? Do what you can. Start where you are. Use what you have. Peterson makes this extraordinary comment in one of his lectures. He says, the only answer to humanity's problems, the only answer to humanity's problems is individual integrity. You and me each choosing to deal with our issues first, to live with integrity inside ourselves and allow that to change the circumstances around us. So maybe kind of like dealing with the log in my own eye before I deal in the speck in someone else's? Are you hearing this? To deal from the inside out with humanity's problems starts with the actual individual. And it just strikes me as so odd. And, and Peterson has picked up considerable amount of traction on this stuff, and yet he's echoing something that was said 2,000 years ago, which I find kind of funny, in a way. Mm. It sounds kind of like Jesus. And so what I want to suggest to you is this. When the difficulty comes, and it's going to come, I'm assured of that at some point, what you are, the key takeaway to all of this, rights and responsibilities, pain and suffering, what you're going to do about it, all of this, you are response-able. Responsible. Remember? You are able to make a response You are able to choose what that is. You are able to decide to take some responsibility for how you react or respond to those things. Now, here's the thing. Folks, sometimes you're going to need some help. I understand that. I'm not suggesting that it's just a a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of affair. I don't think that's biblical at all. But I think that we have to understand that the choice of our, uh, is ours as to how we actually respond to something. And so, consequently, you may need some help to do that. By the way, that's the reason why we have prayer on one hand and community on the other. Prayer because sometimes you need the divine help, don't you? I mean, I know I do. 
I'm just being gut level honest here. And sometimes I need the community of people to come around and help me to respond. And, I, and, I, and I've chosen some of those people. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I was having a phone conversation with my best friend. I get to talk to him a couple times a week now that he's in the States and not living overseas, which is really cool. But doggone it, he got in my face on something. I had to tell him to shut up. But he was right. And we need that community of people around us sometimes to help us to make response-able sorts of decisions. Is this making sense? Hmm. Sometimes we need some help, but we must choose for ourselves first. And, and I think there's kind of a progression here. There's an acceptance, and then there's the responsibility. Because you'll never be responsible for something you don't accept. You just won't. That's why I'm a little jealous of Mary's acceptance. And then she takes responsibility for everything that's going to happen to her afterwards. Joseph, too. One last observation, and maybe I'm going to direct this at the men today. Um, I don't think that women are immune to this, but I think men in general need to hear this. Verse 19 Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Listen to this. Jesus planned, he made the decision to divorce Mary quietly. He attempted to make kind of the best of the situation. He accepted the reality of the circumstances and made the responsible choice. To try to, to try to do what was best for everyone as much as possible. But notice the sequence of events. He decided and then the angel showed up. This is fascinating. The angel said, breathe, Joseph. Just breathe. There's something bigger that's going on here. I think sometimes God waits for us to take responsibility for our lives or our situations before he intervenes on our behalf. Did you hear that? I don't think this happens all the time. But I think very often God waits for us to actually make the decision ourselves before he intervenes on our behalf. The upshot here, the upshot, this is beautiful. There is a long history of seeing suffering and hearing cries and rescuing. This is God's M.O. This is what he does. And in fact, in verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which is a later version of the word Yeshua, Joshua, which in Hebrew means salvation. Jesus means salvation. His very name means salvation because he will save his people from our sins. You think God is not thinking about rescue all the time. Whatever those circumstances are, there's a long history because he will save people from their sins. He will save. He will save the rescue. But I think sometimes that rescue happens only after we make the decision to take responsibility for what we can. Lift something. And you may not be able to lift the whole thing, but you know what? I'm fairly certain that God's able to carry the rest of the load. Yeah. 
I might be good for 25 pounds. Got some strapping young men here who are probably good for a good 100 pounds each. And, but God, it's limitless. Sometimes we need community. Sometimes we need God. But the point is, is that we lift something. We take responsibility for those moments. Now, most Sundays, what I do is I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever the idea is that we're talking about, this big idea, and I'll try to sketch and outline you know, ways that you can apply that idea or think about it or reflect it. I'm not going to do that today. Because I really think that this idea of personal responsibility, you are responsible to figure out some of that stuff for yourselves. Because my guess is you know those areas in your life, in those circumstances and situations where you need to make some, some difficult choices. That's my guess. For the record, I have those areas too. I'm just going to be honest. We're not going to try to give you an idea of where to apply the word. It's for you to wrestle. But instead, instead, I think what I'll have you do is just breathe. Breathe for a few moments. We have this uh, enormous amount of talent in our church. <clears throat> and uh, um, sometimes we, we're, we, we've, we've got to make some decisions to be responsible for that talent, to steward in such a way that it blesses everybody. And, and every now and then we get, we get opportunities to do that. And so today we got kind of a treat. We've got some voices, and they have prepared a song for you. And so what I want you to do is as you're listening to the words of the song, and you should listen to the words of the song, reflect, breathe, Think about what it might mean for you today. Gracious God, I thank you for these stories that we've heard so many times, and yet you still bring brand new meaning to us over and over again. I'm so grateful for it. It's, it's fun to know that you're still working and you're still moving and you're still trying to teach us about yourself. God, I would pray that um, during this holiday season, this advent, this waiting for the arrival, that we would keep in mind that your name means salvation. And because of that, we can take responsibility. We can be, we can be response-able to follow you and to to make the tough choices that we need to make sometimes. And that we can pick up that load, whatever it happens to be, we can carry our cross and follow you. Help us to remember that. It's not just about the gifts under the tree, although that's fun too, but it's all about the gift that you gave us and the grace that's behind it and the heart of a God who loves us and has never abandoned us. 
as we breathe, let us breathe those things in and breathe out the junk and the stuff that keeps us away from you. And we're going to thank you for what you're going to do, not only through us, but inside of us in Jesus' name. Amen.